Welcome back as the IFC presents another episode of the Individuation Podcast. My name is James Malamus. We've got a great episode for you. The crew is all back today as Dr. Lahab Al Samurai, Dr. Eric Tomlinson, and Dr. Lisa Hong continue our discussion, this time going over the Magician Palermo. If you enjoy the IFC's Individuation Podcast and want to support, make sure to rate the podcast five stars on iTunes and review your podcast. So without any further ado, Dr. Al Samurai, take it away. Welcome back to another episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. I'm Dr. Lahab El Samurai, and with me today, as always, the Wrecking Crew. And we have Dr. Lisa Hong is here with us, and Dr. Eric Tomlinson is also here in the dark corner, um, coming to us as a shining beacon of hope. Hey, hi, Eric. Hey, Eric. Okay, so we're back today. Power to the people. <laughs> so we're back today with another story uh, from uh, volume two of Archetypal Stories and Fairy Tales, uh, Archetypal Symbols and Fairy Tales by Mary Louise von Franz. And this, uh, this volume is volume two. This is The Hero's Journey. And today, uh, we are going to dive into Chapter 16, The Magician Palermo. Um, this is a Spanish story. It has an astonishing variety of images. So we will dive into The Magician Palermo. Okay. Dr. Lisa? Let's begin. The Magician Palermo. Long ago, there lived a prince who was greatly given to gaming. He gambled away all his possessions, and when he had lost everything, he left the palace in despair. He had heard of a magician who was so powerful that he could do anything he wished. The name of the magician was Palermo. How I wish that I had the power of magician Palermo, moaned the prince. Then it would be easy to regain all I have lost. Suddenly, the prince heard a voice at his elbow. What is it that you want, said the voice. The prince fell upon his face to the ground. I am a foolish, stupid prince who has gambled away all his possessions. If I only knew how to regain my losses, I'd be the happiest prince in the world, said he. I'd also be wise enough to take better care of my property in the future. I am the magician Palermo, said the voice. I will give you a bag containing a thousand pieces of silver. You must pay it back to me within the year. Every time you play with these silver pieces of mine, you will win. You will soon be a rich prince again, so it will be easy for you to restore the silver. The difficult part of the affair is that you must pay it back to me where I live. That is far, far away beyond the sea. At the end of your journey, I promise you one of my own daughters for your wife. Agreed, said the prince. My heartiest thanks for all that you are doing for me. When the prince returned to the palace, his luck had changed. Every time he paid, played with the pieces of silver which the magician Palermo had given him, he won. 
He played until he had not only regained all that he had lost, but also until he had won a great fortune in addition. Then he set out to find the house of the magician, Palermo, to pay back the thousand pieces of silver, according to the agreement. The magician traveled about asking everyone he met where the palace of the magician Palermo was to be found. No one knew how to direct him there. Finally, he came to a palace of the little birds. They had not even heard of the magician Palermo and did not know the way, but directed the prince to the palace of the big birds. At the palace of the big birds, the birds had heard of the magician Palermo, but also did not know the way. However, at last the eagle came flying home. He had been to the palace of magician Palermo and agreed to take the prince there, but warned that the journey would be difficult. One flies for days and days, saying nothing except the salt water. They needed to take the meat of a horse and a sheep, and the prince had to feed the eagle a quarter of horse meat or mutton when he asked for it. Even though they made these provisions, the journey took so long that they ran out of meat and Prince allowed the eagle to pick some meat off his thigh. At last, they reached the palace of the magician Palermo. The eagle bid him, help me, O eagle, whenever he was in difficulty and flew off. Oh, the eagle bid him to call, help me, eagle. The prince entered the magician palace, palace and repaid his debt. The magician also remembered his own promise to give the prince his daughter but first he wanted to put the prince to the test. The magician ordered him to plow up a mountain, sow it with wheat and harvest it, and then make a little cake out of the wheat for the magician to enjoy for breakfast. In his need, the prince called to the eagle, upon which a beautiful maiden appeared to him. She was the youngest daughter of the magician Palermo and called Luisa. She explained that the magician set the impossible task because he did not want to let her go but that she would complete the task on his behalf. The next morning, the mountain had been plowed and planted and harvested, and the magician's daughter gave a little cake made out of the wheat to the prince. It was wrapped in a napkin, placed on a tray, ready for him to serve to the magician Palermo for breakfast. When the magician saw the little cake on the platter, he ran to the window. There, he saw the mountain co converted into a freshly harvested field. He was surprised but then he set a second task. This time, the prince had to break in the wild black horse. Again, the prince went out to the field and asked help with the eagle. The magician's daughter immediately came in answer to his call. When she heard the new task was given to the prince, she said, in the morning, place a saddle, bridle, and stirrups upon the black horse and lead him out into the field. Cut a big sharp stick. The black horse is my father, the saddle, my mother, the two stirrups, my sister, and I am the bridle. Take your stout stick and beat the horse, the saddle, and the stirrups, but be sure that you do not beat the bridle. That would be beating me. The next morning, the prince led the black horse out into the field. He gave a terrible beating to the horse, the saddle, and the stirrups, but he never touched the bridle. After the beating, the black horse was entirely tamed. It was easy for the prince to mount him and ride him. When the prince put the horse in the stable and entered the palace, he found the magician Palermo, his wife, and his two eldest daughters sick in bed with their bruises. Louisa was well, as well as ever, and became, because of this, her father was suspicious that she had helped the prince. The magician, therefore, set a third task. 
This time, the prince had to find a ring that had belonged to the magician's grandmother and had fallen into the sea and return it to the magician. Again, the prince called on the help of the eagle and again, Louisa appeared at his side. When she heard that the magician Palermo had asked for the ring, she knew that her father was suspicious of her having given aid to the prince. You will have to kill me and cut my body in pieces in order to get this ring out of the depths of the sea, she said. Only be sure that when you cut me into pieces, you tie the pieces up in a cloth and do not lose any of them. Despite his great resistance, the prince did as Louisa commanded him. When he tied up the pieces of body in the cloth, however, he let a tiny piece fall to the ground unnoticed. Soon the sea rose in great waves. Out of the waves came Louisa with the ring upon her finger. However, her little finger was missing. When the prince delivered the ring to the magician Palermo, the magician was greatly surprised. Now, the magician Palermo led the prince to his three daughters to choose his bride, but he blindfolded the prince's eyes. However, the prince was able to choose Louisa because he recognized her by her missing little finger. The magician was then compelled to give the prince Louisa as his bride, but he swore that the, the pair would pay a heavy price. <clears throat> that evening, they made their escape. Louisa ordered the prince to go to the stable where he would find two horses. The fat one runs 30 miles in an hour, the thin one 40. He had to saddle the latter. In the meantime, Louisa spat in a vessel. Her father was calling to her and she answered him each time. When they escaped, he would know that she was not there when she would, not, when she would stop answering him. Her spittle, however, would answer for her until it dried up, thereby giving the pair a head start. When the prince returned with the horses, Louisa noticed he had saddled the wrong horse. However, there was not enough time to change horses. They mounted the slower horse and made their escape. In the meantime, the magician Palermo called out again, Louisa, Louisa, and her spittle answered, your wish, father. And this continued for a while, but then the spittle began to dry up, and from call to call, the echo became weaker until it finally ceased altogether. Upon discovering the pair's escape, the magician went in pursuit on the 40-miler horse and soon caught up with him. But Louisa changed their horse into a garden, the prince into a gardener, and herself into a head of lettuce. She ordered the prince to play dumb if the magician asked him anything. And just what she said, and just what she said really happened. The magician came, saw the gardener and asked, my dear fellow, have you seen a man and a woman riding by here on a fat horse? I have only this salad, but it is good, said the prince. I'm not talking about that. I want to know if you saw two people traveling on horseback. This year, the crops are not so good. Maybe next year, they'll be better, answered the prince again, looking at the fields. To the devil with you, said the magician, and returned to his castle and told his wife what had happened. You are really an idiot, his wife said to him. The garden was the horse, the head of lettuce was our daughter, and the prince was the gardener. The magician then mounted his horse again and galloped off in pursuit. Soon he had almost caught up again. This time Louisa, Louisa turned, in, turned the horse into a hermitage, the prince into a hermit, and herself into the picture of a saint. 
Soon the magician Palermo arrived at that place and asked, Dear Hermit, have you seen two people riding past on a fat horse? Oil for the lamp, oil for the lamp. I'm not talking about that, but if you have seen two people riding on horseback, soon it will all be burned down, soon all burned down. The magician dove, the magician sent all the doves to the devil and turned back home swearing heavily to himself. As the mother heard the story, she said, the hermit was your son-in-law and your daughter was the picture of the saint. Go right again after them and this time bring back what you have found. The magician angrily took on the chase again and swore they would not evade him this time. Soon he had caught up with them again. Louisa took out an egg and threw it onto the ground. It transformed into an ocean that separated themselves from the father. When the magician arrived at the shore, he looked across the expanse and saw that he could not overtake them. So he called out to the youth. When you touch a dog or when an old woman embraces you, you will forget Louisa. He then turned back to his castle. The young, the young pair continued on their way and came into the prince's country. But before they arrived at the palace, the prince said to Louisa, wait for me here. I'm going to get the carriage and everything that is necessary for you to enter the city as is proper for us. She warned him not to go without her, but the prince promised to be careful. The prince was cautious not to embrace anyone when he returned home. He ordered a carriage and gathered an entourage to meet to greet his wife. Then he rested for a while, for he was very tired, and while he lay asleep, the old grandmother entered and embraced him, and when the prince awoke, he had forgotten about his wife. In the meantime, Louisa had waited in vain for him, and when she noticed that he would not return, she went into the city and hired herself out as a cleaning woman in, a, in the service of a rich couple. The couple had a beautiful daughter. As time passed, the prince, in the prince fell in love with this daughter and asked for her hand in marriage. As the day of the wedding approached, Louisa suggested to her mistress that she set up a puppet show with the puppets that she owned. The mistress thought this was a good idea and ordered Louisa to prepare the puppets. Louisa set to work and made clothes for the puppets. For one woman, puppet she made clothes like those she had worn when the prince left her at the edge of the city for the man puppet she made clothes like those the prince had worn on the day that he went to make preparations for her entry into the city the wedding day came and when the whole company had gathered they entered the room where the puppet theater was ready louisa hid herself behind the stage one of the puppets carried a cane and said to the other, Christoph, do you remember that you went looking for the castle of the magician Palermo and that an eagle had flown you there on its wings? No, answered the puppet that was clothed as the prince. He promptly received a blow from the cane. The real prince sitting in the audience following the puppet show suddenly cringed. He felt the blow just as if he himself had received it. The puppet with the cane continued, Christoph, do you remember how the magician ordered 
that you plow up a mountain, sow it with wheat and harvest it. Then you make a little cake out of the wheat and give the magician, give to the magician with his breakfast chocolate. No. And again, the puppet and the real prince received a blow from the cane. You remember the black horse you had to tame? No. You remember you had to fetch a ring that had fallen into the sea? No. Even when the real prince felt the blows, he spoke no word. Louisa speaking, or Louisa speaking as the puppet mistress then said, do you remember that my father pronounced a spell and said that you would forget me when an old woman embraced you? As the male puppet got another blow, it broke into a thousand pieces. The real prince felt such great pain that he jumped up and pressed his hand to his forehead and what happened returned to his mind. Thus the prince found back his Louisa. The other woman suddenly lost her groom and was left standing alone by the puppet show. Now this tale is over and we are going home. It's a great story. Yeah, it really is. Very interesting. <clears throat> what do we think of the story? I like one thing that struck me immediately is I like the fact that it was the woman this time that was in charge and in control. Uh, usually it's, you know, all these kings have their daughter married off to somebody. Ooh. This time she was in charge of her own destiny. And, and I like her being the hero. So the magician represents his shadow, represents his prince's shadow, right? The prince is in despair. He's lost everything. He falls to the ground. And he's asking if he has the power of the magician, the magician Palermo. If he had that power, he would restore his wealth, restore his power. So then the magician Palermo visits him and says, here are a thousand silver coins, but you need to pay me back. And with these, you're going to have infinite love. So these <clears throat> are the magical coins. He says, I am the magician Palermo, said the voice. I will give you a bag containing a thousand pieces of silver. You must pay back to me within the year. Every time you play with these silver pieces of mine, you will win. You will soon be rich prince again. So it will be easy for you to restore the silver. The difficult part of the affair is that you must pay back to me where I live. Come find me. Well, the shadow lives inside of us. So if we are not searching inward, we're not looking in the right place. If we're searching for the other outside of us, we're always looking in the wrong place. The other always exists within us. I live, this is 
this is far, far away beyond the sea. At the end of your journey, I promise you one of my own daughters for your wife. The shadow is seductive. The shadow gives you what it thinks you need, what you're missing. You always fall for it because it's the other. It's part of you. It's the other part of you. Agreed, cried the prince. My heartiest thanks for all that you are doing for me. When the prince returned to the palace, his luck has changed. So as soon as you're in touch with the shadow, you seem to have power now. Your luck has changed. When the shadow is put in charge, things change. You change. So in this case, he changes. And the change brings him luck. When the prince returned to the palace, his luck had changed. Every time he played with the pieces of silver, which the magician Palermo had given him, he won. He played until he had not only regained all that he had lost, but also until he had won a great fortune in addition. Then he set out to find the house of the magician. So he went searching, this is the man searching for his shadow. He wants to pay back a thousand pieces. Because the shadow, the price that it puts on you is much higher. Because it wants to be set free. It doesn't want to stay subjugated. It doesn't want to stay controlled. It wants to be out in the limelight. It wants to be in charge. It wants the ego to go into the more passive position. It wants to take the active role. Like, for example, that has never had the active role, which is a fallacy because it's quite active all the time, but it also plays victim because it's been victimized. When you're victimized, that goes into the shadow. So it likes to play victim. It also likes to play outrage. I am outraged by this. It also carries all the things that you fear. It carries the, the part that you're not afraid of these things. It carries how brave you are because your conscious mind is afraid. The unconscious mind is not afraid. Thus, we use the term, I am not afraid. So how do we go about searching for shadow? The prince traveled about asking everyone he met where the palace of the magician Palermo was found. Where do you find the shadow? 
No one knew how to direct him there. Finally, he came to the palace of the little birds. They had not even heard of the magician Palermo. And did not know the way, but directed the prince to the palace of the big birds. Okay, so birds represent the instincts. They also represent what? They represent our eyes beyond ourselves. They represent a view to the world that is outside of ours. Right? So he goes to see the big birds because the big birds can see farther than the smaller birds. Because the smaller birds didn't know the magician Palermo. At the palace of the big birds, the birds had heard of the magician Palermo, but also did not know the way. However, at last the eagle came flying home. He had been to the palace of the magician Palermo, agreed to take the prince there, but warned that the journey would be difficult. To travel and face the other, to travel and face your other, the journey is very complicated. You're not going to like what you see. You're not going to enjoy what comes to you. Luke in the cave. He thinks he's fighting Darth Vader, but it turns out that he's fighting himself. Ray under the island. She sees thousands, multiple images of herself. They all look different, but they're all the same. So, He tells him, this is what you're going to face. That this is going to take days and days. Seeing nothing except salt water. They needed to take the meat of a horse and a sheep. And the prince had to feed the eagle a quarter of the horse meat or mutton when he asked for it. Even though they made these provisions, the journey took so long that they ran out of meat. And Prince allowed the eagle to pick some meat off his thigh. At least they reached the palace of the magician Palermo. So what is at stake? Your own body integrity. When you face the shadow. Because if you think about the shadow, if you think about the shadow and the complex, the shadow is independent of the ego's consciousness. So that independence from the ego's consciousness makes it dangerous. The ego practices a lot of disassociation, like, oh, no, I don't do that. That goes into shadow. 
No, I don't say stuff like that. That goes into shadow. No, I've never done that before. That goes into shadow. Whether it's true, whether it's lie, the ego is basically the uh, upfront staff. They make the house look clean. Are you saying something along the lines of that the in the pursuit of a shadow focused endeavor can be dangerous and unsafe? Yes. Mm -hmm. But also when you when you travel to face the shadow, your life is at risk. Mm -hmm. You risk life and limb, which he has already. Right? He's already given meat from his thigh. Mm -hmm. Now, that's also um, um, the eagles picked him out, uh, and uh, Zeus, when he sends um, Prometheus. For giving human humanity fire. He had eagles pick at him. So it is when coming to the light. When bringing that which is unknown to the known. So the prince enters the magician's palace. And repaid his debt. The magician also remembered his own promise to give the prince his daughter. But first, he wanted to put the prince to the test. The magician ordered him to plow up a mountain. So, what does the shadow do? The first instinct is to say, oh yeah, I agreed with you, but I've changed my mind. Do you have to do this now for me? Because I really don't want to give it to you. I want to put a twist on that. Yeah. Um, he, is, the prince, is trying to get everything that he was promised. He could have just said, now, here are your silver coins. I'm good. I don't need your daughter. I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there well, is also a choice that he made. <laughs> It's, it's why you go to the shadow. The shadow is seductive, right? Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. why you need to face the shadow because the shadow is giving you something you can't get by yourself. You have to tap into this other part of you. Mm -hmm. it me and Dr. Eric were talking about it earlier, about like dealing with like employees at the county, about how... Um, his mom could get away with stuff that he can't seem to get across to them. <laughs> so he said, but, you know, I said, you have to use another voice. He said, if I dip into that voice, that voice comes out as angry. Now, so there's different layers of that voice. There are different layers of the shadow. The shadow is seductive. The shadow is fear. The shadow is redemption. The shadow, yeah, the shadow, the shadow wants to punish. Yeah, the shadow is a punisher. Yeah. The shadow has many different layers in it. So as you meet, you are meeting almost what your meeting is. 
you're meeting several different people. So you had an agreement with me. Hi, Lisa. Yes, we had an agreement, but you didn't have it with the second in command. I want you to plow the mountain. You don't have it with the third in command. I want you to go to the bottom of the sea. You don't have it with the fourth in command and so on. So every time you come and you're requesting something, it's going, well, that's not the deal we had. I changed rules, right? Because deep within you, there are no rules. Because your conscious ego says, I have to abide by the rules. The shadow goes, shit with rules, who cares? Why are you putting up with rules? That's stupid. We don't want rules. Without rules, then there's chaos. Then you can't keep your word. But that's where, the, that's where those elements lie, right? So part of, part of our prince, part of his lust for life makes him gamble. He plays fast and loose with, um, with his reality. So it came crashing down on top of his head. So he basically asked for a different reality. In the fairy tale, there's a different reality. You have to approach that part of you that could do anything at will, that is not afraid of anything. But that is also um, jealous, greedy, treacherous, deceptive, manipulative. So you have to face all those things. So you're right. Um, you go and you ask for something and you get something else. You don't ever want, they don't want to ever give you what you came in for. Dr. Lahab. Mm. I like when you uh, talked about the shadow and rules and, and, and and how when there's contained boundaries, uh, the shadow can't exercise its full potential. Mm -hmm. Then you talked about chaos. And, and what's ironic to me is sometimes the more chaotic things are, the more the shadow sounds like the only sane voice <laughs> in the picture. Correct. <laughs> Correct. I mean, it sounds reasonable when there's yeah, chaos. Because the, the shadow is not always evil. <laughs> That's a good point. The shadow is not always evil. The shadow is compensatory. That was Jung's major issue. Jung's point always was the shadow was compensatory. Every object, if there was a beam of light, cast a shadow. Every object cast a shadow. That was Jung. Young didn't believe that the shadow of the object was necessarily evil. It represented everything that we deny ourselves. It represents everything that was denied to us. But it also represents a space and a place where the rules don't apply. That's why it can be treacherous. With your ego consciousness, there are rules. You can't do this, you can't do that. In the shadow, rules don't apply. That's in your world, not in my world. In the underworld, chaos reigns. But through the chaos, 
The shadow is in its greatest element. So if you're really uptight, an anxious person, and everything has to be in place, and one day, you know, all hell breaks loose. Things fall out of proportion. Everything that you had planned for, everything that was in the right place, everything is so you freak out. Your tactic of trying to control everything is not working. And you hear this voice from inside of you that says, who cares? I mean, that's the shadow. The shadow is able to make sense out of chaos. It puts you at ease. Well, I'm really glad, Dr. Lahab, that you made a really, really powerful point that a lot of people, even psychologists, don't get about the shadow. I can say that because I am a psychologist and I've talked to other psychologists that just don't get this point. And that is the fact that the, the shadow isn't just about evil. No. It's, all, it's, it's compensatory. And all the things that are good we shut out of our life, it's a part, those things are a part of the shadow as I, well. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you've experienced pain as a child, if you had an assaultive uh, parental figure and you had a lot of pain, um, the shadow contains all the good, the happiness that was beaten out of you during childhood. It contains the innocence. It contains the loss. It contains um, the ideal. Right? So that's what the shadow contains because the ego contains the consciousness of the pain, of the destruction, of the anger, of the rage. So now your ego is the angry one, right? It's enraged. The shadow is like the nice, quiet one. And what I've seen, and what I've seen a lot of, Doctor Lahab, especially in this country, is a lot of people call that evil. They call the shadow evil. They call it the sinful nature. And they. Well, I think it has racial tones to it. I think it has. We we have a huge racial complex. Racial and religious is what and, I just referred yeah, to. Yeah, and I think that's, I think we carry that. We carry, we, we carry that. Um, the way we view um, people who we don't understand, who are darker than us, that's the way we refer to them. Suspicious and evil. And so there's a lot of, collective cultural collective overtones to it yeah this is the collective complex and it's so powerful it can even affect members of that own culture i mean spike lee Lee did movies about it yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. i i think that the uh i think we call it i think a more apt name for it is the other it's the unknown other Well, I, I like that a lot the, better. Is the is the a better description of what we're talking about than the shadow? It's an unknown other. 
it grows like the ego does. So as, as Jung says that as, as what is above grows, so does below. So whatever happens in the conscious world happens in the unconscious world. So if you're sitting in therapy, the unknown other is also sitting there next to you going, yeah, I could use that. Yeah, next time I have an argument, I could use that. Oh, thank you for clarifying this point. I've always argued this point. Nobody seems to listen to me. Now you listen. Now you hear me. You know, that's how it argues, right? Suddenly you start to realize because therapy, what therapy does, it helps you integrate pieces of yourself, right? So with the integration comes questions of what I keep outside of my conscious psyche, what I despise, what I leave out, what doesn't work. Where did the uh, where did that term the other come from? Did you hear it about it or read it, or did you come up? No, with uh, the other has been around. I mean, that term has been used. The unknown other, I think, is is just more apt to the description of the process of uh, what is termed shadow, because what it is really is the unknown other. I really like that. That's, I hope you, I hope you put that in your book. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. That's uh, I was going to make a point about yeah. not using the term shadow the way Young used it, just because I think it's taken out of context. And I think um, referring to it in terms of uh, this is what it is. Yeah. I'll just use it. There's another term for it, but this is the term I'm going to use for the complex. And the complex is like that. The persona is part of, uh, the persona is a complex. You know, it's the mask that we wear in the world. It's a complex. So if you grow up in several different cultures, you have several different personas that you could use, you know, because they're different complexes. So me being a, a kid of different cultures, I could I could mimic different cultures because I've lived those complexes. I know the feeling state. I know what they're thinking about, how they want to express themselves, what they get angry about. Right. So um, when we take these things into account, they all make different sets of what Jung referred to as subpersonalities. There were several subpersonalities. Well, they're yes, they're subpersonality, but that's what they're complexes, right? So the father complex, the father complex basically runs you at a certain point of life. If your father was um, very regimented in the way they worked or did things, for a period of your life, you're going to run on the father complex. You're going to be regimented. You're going to do it over and over again. Um, it might not last very long. It might be a phase that you're going through and then you hate and then you're like, I'm done. <laughs> That's right. right. I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. So you become conscious of the complex and you're like, I'm done. I'm not, this is not me. I don't have to be this way. Those are other people. Right. You might identify with it and say, no, no, 
you know, I understand what he did, but I do it like 10 times more. So you over-identify with the complex. But the complex runs you. There, there are parts of your life where the complex of the mother takes over. You're very maternal. You're maternal around all your friends. You take care of everybody. Everybody's great. Everybody's taken care of. And then you snap. And you're like, I'm not doing that anymore. You need to grow up. Right? So you walk out of the mother complex. So you, you switch through these different periods of time with these different influences going on in the background. They're like an echo. And you hear them, you get irritated by them, but you're like, yeah, you know, this is how it is. So any journey, to get back to our story, any journey that provokes, promotes, pushes consciousness is the story, the journey you want to take. Because it pushes past the boundaries of niceties. It pushes past the boundaries of safety. It pushes past the boundaries of everything works out in the end. James Bond can die. They killed James Bond. I don't get this. Anyway, James Bond can die. But in the archetypal story, there is a reason why the hero or heroine and prevail. It's a point of consciousness. It's a point of integration. It's a, it's a leap into um, a more open understanding, bigger perspective picture. So in the stories, what we know is that when they head home, when the couple, the married couple head home, they start a new kingdom. There, it's a new beginning. It's a more conscious beginning than the past beginnings. And what we see from the anima, which is represented by Louisa, she's, she is the inspiration for everything. She is the one that figures a solution to every problem. Right? And this is the creative side. This is our creation, right? There is a part of us that changes and adapts to difficult, scary, dangerous situations. And they were being hunted, right? This magician is pissed. Really, really pissed. And he's chasing them, right? He's evil and he's angry and, you know, the father complex. The father complex doesn't want to let go. My daughter doesn't do. You know, that's part of the father complex. That's why a woman must work through her father complex. Because if she doesn't, she'll end up with a man who resembles her father, talks like her father, and... and doesn't connect to her in the way she needs to be connected to. Because they're stuck in the father complex. They're not conscious. That's why it's always dangerous to get married really young. 
because the complex is still kind of basically running the roost. Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing to me at what this is such an important discussion and a and, uh, little bit of a, a lecture that you're giving because it's, it's just so important because it's such a, to me, it's such a fundamental principle of every human being's life. And that is to, instead of spending all your time and energy trying to trying to suppress this other, what did you call it? Other, something other? The unknown other. This unknown other away. Uh, it's, it's like Jung said, you know, we don't become enlightened by imagining figures of light. Rather, we make the darkness conscious. Correct. Now, just watching a, a, a TV show the other day, and it shows how people who, living thousands of years ago who we think are, are just ignorant and superstitious and yet cultures across the planet you can see where they would have many of them would have an underground underground rooms that match the size of the rooms in their above ground rooms yes part of that was for insulation purposes but that's not how they viewed it. They viewed it as getting in touch with a part of the gods in themselves that is beneath the surface exactly. as well as that above the surface. And it was so important to them that they lived in both spheres. Yeah. And this is, these are ignorant. These are people who we think are ignorant and even they understood this. Well, because they weren't surrounded by everything in the world that, that you can use to suppress. Well, what we consider civilization is technology. Yeah. We're basically talking about less technologically sophisticated societies. That doesn't mean that they weren't sophisticated in other ways. Culturally, that's yeah. Uh, we, we've actually adapted a lot of uh, cultures around us. That's how we have evolved. We have adapted and assimilated many different cultures as we have because it's not conscious it's part of the process of uh, individuating it's part process of becoming whole you keep adapting integrating um different ideas different thoughts different ways of being because that's the ultimately that's how you grow that's how you change that's how you evolve if you keep feeding yourself the same steady diet of biscuits and uh, milk, you're going to become uh, dairy intolerant and have uh, lactose issues. I mean, these are, you have to vary your diet. Your mental diet has to vary. Your spiritual diet has to vary. Your psychological diet has to vary. These are things that, help us um, grow, change, expand, not be stuck in limbo because we no longer prescribe to those ideas of our parents, but now we don't prescribe to any ideas of our own. We just are lost in limbo. We don't have a God, a prophet, a idea to hold on to. That's why integrating 
different ideas, different thoughts, reading about different cultures, understanding differences, and understanding our own psychological depth, we start to change. And that, that change is what gets us through life, through this challenge of living. That makes us stronger. That, makes, that helps us laugh. That helps us release, let go. It helps us not to be so hard on ourselves, not so judgmental, not so angry, not filled with so much hate, not filled with so much fear and paranoia. Because living on a steady diet of fear and paranoia is gonna create chaos. And that's not how the world works. The world works in balance. If you haven't noticed, COVID, balance. Notice the world works on balance. The universe works in balance. And when things are out of balance, that's when we get extreme weathers. That's when we get hit with hurricanes, tsunamis. That's when we get us smacked across the face. There's no balance. Balance is lost. So in the story, the shadow is trying to destroy them. So what's interesting in the story is that she tells him what not to do. She's very clear with him. Don't do this. He ends up saddling the wrong horse, the slow horse. Don't do that. But she saves him over and over and over again until they're about to escape. And what happens? She opens up the unconscious with an egg. She smacks it on the ground and a huge ocean, a body of water is born. She opens up the unconscious. And what does the shadow do? The shadow echoes words. You will never have her. Why should you have her? She's not yours. You'll never have her. You will forget her. And that's exactly what happens. While he's asleep, he's hugged by an old woman. He's held by the mother complex. He forgets about her. <laughs> and it takes a bunch of beatings to get him to wake up. <laughs> then at the end of the story, she's, she knows exactly where he is. She knows what happened to him. She knows he's a dumbass. So <laughs> what she does, and we say that lovingly to our would-be hero, um, she creates a puppet show. 
And in the puppet show, she dresses the characters in the way they were dressed when they escaped from the evil magician. And they're riding a horse. So, so in the puppet show, she says, the puppet that was clothed as the prince, he probably received a blow from the cane. The real prince sitting in the audience following the puppet show suddenly cringed. He felt the blow just as if he himself had received it. The puppet with the cane continued. Christopher, do you remember how the magician ordered that you plow up a mountain, sow it with wheat, and harvest it? Then you made a little cake out of the wheat to get to the magician with his breakfast chocolate? No. And again, the puppet and the real prince, because this is a trauma. The real prince received the blow from the cane. So it's like knock, knock. Anybody home? Do you remember that the black horse you had to tame? No. Do you remember you had to fetch a ring that had fallen into the sea? No. Even when the real prince felt the blows, he spoke no words. Louisa, speaking as the puppet mistress, then said, do you remember that my father pronounced the spell and said that you would forget me when an old woman embraced you. As the male puppet got another blow, it broke into a thousand pieces. The real prince felt such great pain that he jumped up and pressed his hand to his forehead. What had happened returned to his mind as the prince found back his Louisa and the other woman was suddenly lost her room and was left standing alone by the puppy show. Now this tale is over and we are going home. So I wanted to thank everybody for putting up with us today. As always, we loved you as our audience watching us on YouTube. Thank you very much. Um, I've been getting word of mouth that people are enjoying our podcast. So I wanted to thank everybody for watching. Um, on behalf of the IFC, we'd love to see you in Salt Lake City. We'll be there on the 13th, 14th, and 15th. Um, the cast will be there. So if, um, if you're interested in coming and saying hi, we'd love to see you. So with uh, that, uh, Dr. Lahab, reminder, yes. reminder yes. about what we're going to do next week yeah. so that they can watch the TV show ahead of time. Yes, yes, yes. So our plan is to uh, start with uh, Stranger Things. And we're going to go through uh, episodes one through four. Uh, next week is going to be our intro to Stranger Things. So if you just watch episode one, that's enough. But we will go into an intro of um, what Stranger Things represents. So we're going to take a brief um, break from uh, Mary Louise, and we're going to jump into 
uh, Stranger Things, which is, I think, watched by more people around the world than any other show. So we want to understand that phenomenon, why people are so attracted to that show. What is it about that show? So next week, we will um, give you a narrative of um, this show, or at least of season one. And um, then we will get into the psychological aspects of Stranger Things. Thank you, Dr. Eric, for reminding me. No problem. Uh, with that, um, any other thoughts, anybody? We've enjoyed having you follow us, uh, follow along with our fairy tales. And we hope um, you had a great time. <laughs> we're going to go home now. The story's yes, ended. <laughs> we're going to go home now. And, and thank I'm, you so and much. Not, and I'm not afraid. <laughs> thank you so much. And as always, we end our session by the affirmation, we are not afraid. We are not afraid. We are not afraid. We are not afraid. We are the Institute for Conflict, and we will be back next week. Thanks again. Thank you for tuning to this episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Dr. Eric Tomlinson, Dr. Lisa Hong, and Dr. Al Samurai. We'd also like to thank Eric and Lisa for taking the time to join us. You can also find us on the IFC's YouTube. Make sure to check out the JAMP Institute for Training's Magician's Call podcast as well. Tune in again next time to the IFC's Individuation Podcast for another episode soon. The IFC is a not-for-profit institution. We don't have any paid advertising for our podcast, but we do accept donations. All donations and contributions are tax-deductible. You can find more info at theinstituteforconflict.com.